This is from Luke 1, 26 to 33. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give you will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Peace is a cool thing. Peace, there's a hymn that said it, to have peace flows like a river, which is kind of a whole different thought if you ever grew up in a river town. But peace is something that is incredibly important in life. We have two forms of peace. We have one is that form of being at peace externally, like not to be at war. We live in a country that we're at peace right now here. But then there's that internal form of peace that dwells within us. Like we could be at war and still be at peace. Make sense? So as I was thinking about peace, there's a little town close to where we went on the disaster trip called Beaumont, Texas. Anybody familiar with Beaumont? Jeannie? Anybody else? (laughs) Beaumont in 1901 had one of the most outrageous things that ever happened in the country relative to our economy was the the oil that was struck there at Spindletop. It shot off 100,000 barrels a day. Like they drilled down, boom, oil shoots out of there like crazy, and it's just landing on the ground. And it went on for nine days before they could cap that, and that oil just gushed for nine solid days. And there's a story about a family that lived on that property for many years, and they were paupers. They lived on that property in Beaumont for their whole life and never tapped into the wealth that was there. And yet, a couple thousand years ago, the Spirit of God came to no longer walk around the believers or followers, but he took up residence inside. It says in the Bible that his Spirit joined with our spirit. Like if you put food coloring in a glass of water, they join together. They are the same, right? You can't pull the the food coloring out of that. And the moment that that Spirit of God entered your life, which was the moment you trusted Christ, you got a spindle-top version of peace. It's deep down inside. It's there regardless of what's going on in your life. It is there because it's the nature of the God who united with your spirit. So the more that you know his heart and who he is and what he thinks about you, the more you tap into the wealth of that peace. And that's what I offer you today is God's peace. Lord, thank you for this time. Let us know you in such a way that even though there's a battle raging around us, that that well of your spirit can refresh us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, Lord, that we might walk by your spirit each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The, the Advent, it's a 
season of reflecting, obviously, at Christmas time, and uh, last week we spoke about hope, this week it's all about peace. People are, you, you people are interesting because uh, everybody's asking me, how do you do the Advent? What candles are we supposed to light? <laughs> There's three red ones and a pink one. The pink one is for the uh, fourth week. You'll save it for last, but just light a red one and another red one. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Uh, and do this at home. If you haven't already figured it out, uh, we've got daily devotions that are happening at leavener.com. If you just go on there at the very bottom of that page, there's a thing about the Advent. Click on it, and it will take you to a daily devotional that's written by many of you out there. So that's, pre- that's pretty fun. I look forward to it each day is just getting on there, even though I've already like read them once or twice to, to read them again, and so uh, I encourage you. Today's is by Judah, and Judah was the one singing up here this morning, so she's doing double duty today, so it's pretty cool. Well, Merry Christmas. We are talking about Jesus, believe it or not, and uh, the crazy thing is, even though we're in the month of Jesus's celebrating Jesus's birth and where we are in the gospel we're kind of coming to the end of his ministry it's just where we are and so today I've 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 been in Luke chapter 13 and I'll I'll try to wrap that up today but I want to jump to John chapter 10 we're going to be in John chapter 10 uh, right here at the first because there was this one section where Jesus left the group of Pharisees he just got through busting their chops and just this whole battle just continuous for like three years has gone on and you know when you get in a battle it's like uh it'll wear you down it'll wear you down the battle will wear you down no matter if it's what keith was saying like this this you know going on around you maybe even close to you it'll wear you down and at times you just like need to get away You just need to get away, and we see this throughout the scripture that this is what Jesus did, is that he he got away, sometimes he got away with just his disciples. The thing is, Jesus was the teacher of those disciples, and it's good for us right here, just as uh, Matt was saying, he's getting ready to start the Romans thing again, it's good for us to disciple others. But there's times when we have to have something greater than ourselves to encourage us. So for Jesus, he's got these 12 knucklehead high school 20-year-old men hanging around him that are really more worried about their stomach than anything. So who does he go to? He goes to the Father. This is his thing going to the father in the midst of the battle so we'll see in john chapter 10 starting at verse 22 it says then the festival of dedication took place in jerusalem and it was winter let me break this down for you real quick on on labor day this year matt was up here and he was teaching about the seven different jewish festivals well now it is mentioning one of these seven jewish festivals that Matt taught about I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you want to figure those festivals out but now this is the festival of dedication it's not in the old testament 
Well, it can't really be in the Old Testament because the whole celebration of this festival is for a certain reason that happened between the two Testaments. Between the Old Testament and New Testament, this is history. If you go back and you look at Daniel chapter 2, and the King Nebuchadnezzar had this, had this dream about this statue, and Daniel pretty much broke down what was going to happen, what this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar meant. The, the head was the Babylonians, who King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of, would take rule over the world. Then the Medes and the Persians representing the arms would come in and they would take control over the Babylonians and that's exactly what happened according to history. Daniel was proven right by interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Then we also know that the waste represented the Greeks, that the Greeks came in and defeated the Medes and the Persians. Who was the leader of the Greeks? Hello? History people? What? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes in. And then we know this, that the Romans came in and defeated the Greeks. Daniel's prophecy in chapter 2 came true. It's based upon history. It's pretty amazing, right? Well, watch this. Between the Greeks and the Romans, there was something that happened that was critical. On the Temple Mount... On the Temple Mount, the same place that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. The same place, the same exact place that this temple was built. The Greeks came in and Antioch Epiphanes comes in and he desecrates the whole temple. He literally slaughters a pig on the altar that is intended for Jewish sacrifices. Now, that was a repulsive thing that the Jews saw. And a year after that, the Maccabees, if you, if you look at in between your books, uh, many of your Catholic Bibles will have the book of Maccabees. The Maccabees actually came in in history and they drove out uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. They defeated him, and they came in and cleansed the temple and said, we're reclaiming this in the name of God for the Jews. And they totally wiped everything out that the Greeks had done. At this point, the Jews said, we're going to celebrate this, and we'll have a festival every year at this time during the winter. Guess what? That festival will happen next Tuesday, December the 12th. And it is called Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the feast, the festival of dedication. And it starts for eight days starting. So they're still celebrating the cleansing of this temple of something that occurred in world history. You got the scripture right here, and it says right here that Jesus went and he observed the festival of dedication. It's mentioned in the New Testament, but obviously not in the Old Testament for a reason. And then watch this in verse 23. It says, Jesus was walking in the temple. He's there for the festival of dedication, and he's walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. 
Now let me show you real quick about the temple. Here's a picture of the temple. This was a picture that this is actually a model that is in Jerusalem that you can obviously walk up and look over old Jerusalem. Someone has built this miniature model of the temple and old Jerusalem. If you go with me in May, you can see this right here. But here's the temple. The Holy of Holies is inside this temple right here. And along the sides here, you see all these colonnades. This is Solomon's colonnade that's built. And then uh, it says this is where Jesus was. They specifically believed that he was on the east side of the temple. This is the south side, north side, west side. They believed that he was on the east side of the temple when he actually was experiencing this passage right here. If we zoomed out, if we zoomed out, let me show you, or let me, let's, let's zoom in. I want to show you another picture here. Th- this is crazy. This is Corey. This is my son. He's uh, 23 now. He was 18 when we went. He was a senior in high school. Me and Micah and uh, Corey went to Israel, just like we're getting ready to do in May. And guess what? This is on top of the Temple Mount. It's one of the things that I wanted to do, but our group couldn't go up there because we had a Jewish leader. And the Jewish leader wasn't about to go on top of the Temple Mount. Why is that? Because it's in control by the Muslims. And the Jews aren't going to go up there. So I had Micah with me. I'm going to the Temple Mount <laughs> without, with, without my, my tour guide. So... We literally waited in line, went through security, everything else, and we got to go on top of the Temple Mount. And this is one of those base of the colonnades that we're assuming was from the Temple, Solomon's Temple, which is pretty amazing. Now, you have no idea what being on top of the Temple Mount was like. This is the same place that Abraham was sacrificing Isaac. And they're playing soccer. Like, it's just another place. It's just another place. Now, watch this. I'll zoom in. This is pretty cool. Just, th- this is a side note. You know what this is right here? There's actually, th- this, is the wall, this is the top of the wall of the Temple Mount. And then there's this long, deep valley beside it. There's actually a highway between here and here that runs between that. This is the east wall. This is the east wall. And this is the Mount of Olives. And Bethany is just over the hill. Remember when Jesus goes to Mary's house all the time? He's going just over the hill to Bethany, not too far. The Mount of Olives now is a huge cemetery. Because the Jews save all their money and they buy plots to be here because they want to be the first ones to arise from their graves when Jesus returns. Little do they know they've already missed out. They've already missed out because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that the Messiah is going to come, is going to raise them from the dead, but it's Jesus who they didn't believe. You can see a little bit over here. This is uh, actually olive trees that are, were alive back when Jesus was alive. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. To be able to like walk in that, Right there where Jesus spent some of his last few hours and just to sit at the base of a tree, an olive tree that's over 2,000 years old. Amazing experience. So now Jesus has said Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. You know exactly what that temple looked like. 
In verse 24, it says this. It did say it was winter, right? And he's in the colonnade. He's, he's undercover. We don't know what the weather is, but maybe in December. The average temperature in Israel in December, the low is 43. The high in the summer is around 85. It's pretty nice weather. It says the Jews surrounded him and asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, I've been teaching for 35 weeks on the gospel, right? And how many times have we already read that Jesus said, I am. I'm the guy. How many times has he clearly said, I'm the Messiah? He hasn't said necessarily, I'm the Messiah. He's saying, I am the Son of the Father. He and me are one. He said it over and over and over again. And they keep asking the question, just tell us you're the Messiah. Just say that you're the Messiah. He's already done these messianic miracles Just say that you're the Messiah. Because if he says he's the Messiah, what can they do? Blasphemy and they can stone him. They can kill him. Just say it. Quit dancing around the whole I am. Me and the Father are one. Just say you're the Messiah. And verse 25. I was sitting there with Michelle last night. And I'm like, how in the world do you think he said this right here? Show show verse 25. I I did tell you. I did tell you. Or did he just calmly say, I did tell you. But you didn't believe. I... I don't know what more I could have done to tell you I'm the Messiah. Literally, Jesus is basically saying, look, I've shown you. I haven't had to say it, but because I showed you and you guys blaspheme me, I'm probably always just going to keep you in suspense. I'm probably not ever going to say it directly. Because you, look, you made the choice not to believe. You chose a side and you dug in. He's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the Jews, all those that believe that he's not the Messiah. He's like, how, how, many times do I have, how many times do I have to tell you? I'm him. I'm the one you've been waiting on all these years. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I, I'm the one. I, I'm the one you've been waiting on. 
And guess what? I look at that. I said to Michelle, I said, I did tell you, and you don't believe. As a as pastor, as someone that is sought after, I I try to guide and direct all the time. I try to guide and direct all the time. I try to lead. The problem is, uh, if you come to, <laughs> if you come, let, let me just tell you this real quick. If you come to me, I'm going to tell you the same thing every time. <laughs> if you haven't quite figured this thing out yet, uh, you have two choices. Everybody in this room right here, you have two choices. You can either choose to, what? Follow the Spirit. Or follow your flesh. You got two choices. Follow the Spirit or follow your flesh. A lot of the times you'll come to me just like the Pharisees did, just to get approval to follow your flesh. And I'm probably going to give you the same answer every time. Need to follow the spirit. Need to follow. Well, how do I know if it's the spirit? And how do I know if it's the flesh? <laughs> it, it, it's like it's like watching a radio talk show, you know, or listening to a radio talk show. It's the same questions every time. It's the same question. I'm going to give you the same answer every time. You want to tell me your story, and you like want to justify your decision, and I'm going to come back and say. Is that what the Spirit's leading you to do, or is that what you are wanting to do? I've got one answer. Follow the Spirit. Come to me for advice. I'm going to say the same thing over and over. I wish, I wish I could tell you what to do. Sometimes I do, and it doesn't do any good. But you're the one that's going to make the choice. And that's exactly what Jesus has said here. I've, I've told you. I've told you over and over and over, yet you choose not to believe. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We did a little exercise a few weeks ago about being able to know the shepherd's voice, just like I know my father's voice, I know my mother's voice, I know them. I would know their voice anywhere. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying right here. My, my sheep know me. You have, how do you know whether it's the spirit or whether it's the flesh? You have to know your father. You have to know the spirit. Can you be distracted? Absolutely. You know what I mean by that, right? You can be distracted and you can follow your flesh. It can be momentarily, it can be for a season. But the point is, the sheep are always going to follow the shepherd because they know his voice. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Look, he's saying right here, there is no question about salvation here. For those that believe that I am the Messiah, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, there is no question about salvation. It's really about living here on earth. The quality of life that you want to have right here on earth is just following the shepherd. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. He's saying again, look, I'm telling you again, this is who I am. But here's what I get from this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I 100% believe that I have salvation and I will spend eternity with Him. There's no question in my mind. It's not 99.9% sure it's 100% sure that I have salvation based upon what he just said right here there's nothing that I can do there's nothing that any of you can do to snatch me out of my father's hands and I think what he's saying here is no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand and you know what how do you know that I think your works will prove it. Not because you have to, it's just the way you live your life. The fruit that is produced is by the Holy Spirit, and that is going to be evidence of your decision. Now he says in verse 31, he says, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. He he says, I am the Father, I am the Father, are one. We're like this. We're pretty much the same. Man, those Pharisees, they're like looking around. Where's a rock? I'm going to like stone him right now. He just like blasphemed. He just said that he's God. It says the Jews picked up rocks to stone him, and Jesus replied, Hey, look, before you grab that rock right there, I just want you to remind you I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you going to be stoning me for now? Look, I've already healed a Jewish leper. None of you all did that. You said if anybody did that, then they would probably most likely be the Messiah. I've already cast the demon out of a mute. None of you guys did that. You said only the Messiah could do that. And then, not only that, third one what is it what say it i healed a blind man that was born blind you guys couldn't do that you said only messiah could do it i've shown you good works i've given you proof that i'm the messiah based upon your own rules your own thoughts And they said this, this is the reply. We aren't stoning you for good work. The Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jewish law required that anybody that blasphemed, saying that they were God, would be killed. Jesus answered them, 
It's a little confusing right here, but here's what he says. He says, isn't it written in your law? I said, you are God's. Jesus just now quoted Psalm 82.6. And in Psalm 82.6, it talks about men who were appointed Jewish judges. They were appointed, get this, by, they were appointed by men in those roles. Therefore, when he used, are you gods, he's using small g, not a capital G. They represented small gods. They had a delegated power. Verse 35 says, If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, talking about the judges and the prophets, that they believed that what these judges and the prophets were speaking was truth, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God? He's like, this is what he just said here. He says, you're okay with listening to these judges that have been delegated and appointed by man, but I've been appointed and have authority from the Father. You believe them, but you're not going to believe me? You're going to accuse me of blasphemy? I was given authority by God the Father. He says, if I'm not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Like, if I say this and you don't believe me, at least look at the things that have been done. Look what the Father, look what the Father did. He did the things that you couldn't do. He did the things that you waited to be done. Just believe that. Just believe the works. <laughs> it, was, it was purely just a simple matter of examining the evidence. And then, honestly, just being willing to accept the truth. Yet, they couldn't do it because they've already chosen not to believe. It says this, this is awesome, verse 39. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. Jesus had to be quick. You know what I'm saying? He did that whole superhero thing, I'm out of here. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? They're pursuing Jesus, and Jesus is like, because you knew he wasn't going to die there. You knew that they weren't going to capture him there. That was in the temple. It says this, verse 40, So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. He just dealt with all the junk. These guys were wanting to stone him, and he's like, I'm going away. I'm going to go someplace. He went east of the temple about 10, 15 miles. He went across the Jordan River to an area called Perea. This is like desert. If you come on the west side of the Jordan, it's a very fertile land. Grow almost any crop that you want on the west side of Israel, but you go to the east side and it's nothing but rock and desert. Hardly anybody there. In Jerusalem, 
the Sanhedrin, which was made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a high priest, they had control and authority. Across the Jordan, across the Jordan River, they weren't in control. They weren't in control. Herod Antipas was in control. The Romans were in control. Jesus is like, I'm going over there and getting away from all this. I've had enough. I think he did it because he knew his time was coming. His time was coming, and so he just needed to get away. It says, so he departed again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing earlier. And he remained there. We believe that that was Perea. It says, many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So Jesus goes away from the temple. He goes over the Jordan River to this private place, and people are still following. But now it's people that believe him. The Jews pretty much stayed in the Jerusalem area, but... Everybody else that believed, Jews and Gentiles, followed Jesus over there. And he hung out with those that believed was the Messiah. Now, here's what Jesus did when he went across the river. He geographically thinned out the crowd. You get what I'm saying? Like, he went over there, some of them stayed, and he had this small crowd. And then we turn back to Luke 13. Remember, we're taking all this chronologically. We've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've, we're, we're going through in chronological order. So now we go back to Luke 13, verse 22, where we left off last week. It says, He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. So he was in Jerusalem at the colonnade. He went across the river to Perea, and now he's on his way back to Jerusalem. This is his last trip to Jerusalem. He knew it. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? Here's Jesus. Three, <laughs> three years of doing unbelievable things. People coming to know Jesus as the Messiah... And somebody in the crowd says, uh, if you're the Messiah, is this as big as it gets? <laughs> is this as big? Is this? How many people do you have coming on Sunday? <laughs> Love that question. Is this all you got? He said to them, Make every effort. Ooh, that gets Christians right there. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. You know what he just said right there? You know how many times in Christianity we have all been bound up by that passage of Scripture right there? <laughs> Make every effort to enter the narrow gate. Like you have to do exactly what the will of God is and if you don't, you've messed up. Right? That's what Christianity 101 teaches us. What about the fact that we've been hearing for the last 35 weeks, Jesus is like saying, you know that Mishnah 
1,800 pages of mission, that's pretty broad. And that's going to kill you. But my way is narrow. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty narrow. All of a sudden, when I figured that thing out, it brought me rest. Do you hear me? Jesus said, I've got an easier way than this broad book of law. That'll bring you death. Mine will bring you life. And I just said last week, two verses. When we said make every effort, what's the effort that we have? John 6, 29, Jesus replied, This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. That's your work, people. Believe in God. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's your work. And then he followed it up in John 17, 3. He says, This is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God... And the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is what eternal life is, is just knowing Jesus. So one, you have to believe. Two, you get to know him. That's it. That's your work. Make every effort to do that right there. And that's the narrow gate. It only filters through the gospel. If you take that outside of the gospel, you can make it a lot of work for believers. But if you keep it in context, it makes sense. And honestly, what am, I striving, what am I striving for? What am I making? Honestly, I'm making, I'm making every effort to come up here on Sunday and forget everything that I've been incorrectly taught. Because I don't want to teach that to you. And so I have to filter. Everything that I've been incorrectly taught, I've, I was taught good stuff, promise you that. But there was some stuff that just doesn't line up with 66 books. I don't want to teach that to you. He says, uh, verse 25, Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then he will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know who you, who you or where you're from. Then you will say, We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out because you chose not to believe. It's going to be a bad deal. All you that are buried up there, paid big bucks for those tombs, you missed out. They will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. He's talking about the Gentiles. They're going to come and believe that I'm the Messiah. To share the banquet in the kingdom of God. We're getting ready to eat back there. And the banquet that we have is going to make this look sad. I can't wait. It's going to be a huge banquet. Having a banquet in heaven with Jesus, the Father. He says, note this. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. That's kind of a big statement right there. (coughs) 
Maybe I'll, I'll just close right there. Some of you are last will be first, and some of you are first will be last. It's okay to let others go before you. You don't always have to be right. It's okay to say I'm wrong. I think what Jesus just said right here is this. I didn't come here to be power up on you. I came here to serve you. You don't have to be first. Have I not shown you? I wash your feet, feed you, take care of you. I'll give you everything you need. I'm just here to serve you. What makes you think you need to be first? Lord, uh, I pray that. I pray that for uh, those in the room. I, I, I got people in this room that are hurting all over the place. You've got people that are hurting all over this place, but uh, we're one body in Christ, and when one hurts, we all hurt. We all hurt. We all hurt. But we also have joy together. We also have life in Christ together. And today, I pray that we choose to focus on that pray that we learn how to become last so that uh, someday you you make us first I pray that we're just humble in who we are Lord let us be humble in who we are in you And with that, Lord, I trust you with your word. I trust you with what all you have to say to us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.